This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. When we look at the conference championship games, we look at it from every single angle, and this is one that you may not have anticipated. It's Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Did you know that drivers who switch and save with Progressive save nearly $750? On average, call or click today and find out if you could save hundreds on your car insurance. This guy does a fantastic job as ESPN's NFL officiating analyst. He is John Perry. You see him all the time on Monday Night Football, among other places. John, it's Chris Carlin and Joe Fortenbaugh. We appreciate the time. You have worked three Super Bowls. You have worked 13 other postseason games. Fill me in here how an official goes about preparing for the bigger games, the games like the championship weekend games, and how much pressure an official is feeling going into these kind of games? Well, first of all, from a pressure standpoint, it's uh, win or go home. So they are different no matter what anybody says. Everybody likes to say, hey, week one should be treated the same as a championship or a Super Bowl, but they're not. The biggest thing the crew will have to do is put together uh, all these assignments are individual So they have not worked multiple weekends together. So as a crew chief, along with preparing for the two teams, you'll break down their films from probably the last two to three weeks. You'll look at formations, tendencies. Do they run right? Do they run left? Do they pass short? Uh, You put all that data together. You're watching a ton of film. But the crew chief has to bring seven guys on the field and a replay official together that have never worked before. So communication, nonverbal signals. Uh, Every crew has different names and and code names that they would use for certain things. So you're making sure everybody's in line with that. The biggest thing is to find rhythm as soon as you can within the game. Everybody's amped up. Everybody's nervous. It's all part of it. But you hope the crew that can find uh, rhythm certainly early in that first quarter to carry them through the next two and a half hours. John, how, following up what you're talking about there, how difficult is it to build a chemistry among an officiating crew when you haven't worked together? It's the human side. It's, uh, every, every guy is different. Every, every official is going to be different when they walk out of that field. People that are comfortable in the locker room leading up to the game find nerves. They get antsy. you got to settle them down. People that were relaxed in the locker room can flip on the switch and go. Uh, it's the human side. That, that's the tough part of this crew, being the crew chief, is trying to figure out how each one of these individuals is going to react over the next three hours. Um, there's a lot of things that every crew does the same way, but there are little things uh, such as, a defensive offside penalty, five yards will give you a first down. If it's second and four and a half, second and four and three quarters, how do I know where that chain is so I can quickly announce the offside, the five-yard penalty, but it does not or it does give the first down. It's little things like that that there's code names. So they'll spend a significant amount of time in the communication, both verbal and nonverbal, to get them through that three-hour contest. John Perry, ESPN NFL officially officiating analyst, excuse me, joining Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. All right, there was um, 
some interesting information that surfaced about one of the referees for this week's game. We saw it. We figured, you know what? John Perry, he's one of our teammates here at ESPN. We'd love for you to come on the show so you can help explain it to the people. Sean Smith is the referee in the AFC Championship game between the Ravens and the Chiefs. Chiefs are the road team. Ravens are the home team. I want to get that out there. Now, over the last three years, <laughs> over the last three years, in a, in games with a referee that's anybody but Sean Smith, the home team is winning 56% of the time. Okay, that makes sense. We hear about home field advantage. In the same three-year span with Sean Smith as the referee, the home team is winning 40% of the time. That's a 17% drop. We were curious as to what the reasons could be as to why the road team, in this case it would be the Chiefs, would have so much more success with Sean Smith as the referee. Yeah, I don't I don't put much to it. Um the numbers are the numbers, but Sean Smith's crew in the last three years has probably been different all three years. Uh, there's two or three changes, retirements, terminations, balancing crews out. So Sean Smith has his name on the crew, but the crew makeup is different uh, every year for him. So I don't put much to that. Keep in mind that every season – Every one of these individuals has one goal, get to the Super Bowl. And you're competing, in Sean's case, with 16 other referees. Your goal is to beat 16 people, so you're working in February. The 16-week schedule, 150-plus plays per game. That's over 2,400 plays. The league spends three days evaluating every game, every play, from multiple angles, and the officials are graded. They have one goal, get the next play right. Uh, the, the notion that potentially there's a mindset that would change an official based on the visiting team or the Kansas City Chiefs, they're all numbers to us. Uh, the, the quarterback is a number, not a name. The linemen are numbers, not a name. Uh, it, I don't see much to it. Um, at all, and I can promise you, nor does Sean Smith. So there's, even though we're talking about this this week, you don't think that even if that lands with him, that has any effect whatsoever? Absolutely not. When you look at the, not to harp on it, but when you look at the penalties called in this particular instance, their same period of time, there's a big disparity. Uh, average would be 4% more penalties called on the road team, but for whatever reason, it's 35% more penalties called on the home team. And it's not, hey, this is something that's being done intentionally, but is that kind of a thing just an anomaly as it all plays out as you're talking about here? I can tell you from 19 years of doing it, 12 years as a crew chief, we paid no attention to these type of numbers. Every game is a different universe. It's a, it's a different canvas, different three hours. Uh, you know, can I describe or analyze those numbers that you have in front of you? No, I can't. Uh, you know, there's, there's probably something to it, but from an official's mindset, again, it's 153, 156 plays. They last six seconds, and you're trying to be perfect for six seconds 160 times. That's it. That's all there is to it. Um, as far as the, the narrative that's out there, Sean Smith does this, his crews do that. He's not reading this. 
there's not one official that I ever knew that would go on X or Twitter and to see what people are saying prior to a game and put that in his head. Pure noise. Now, this is how you know we're talking to an official. The only person I know who leads by calling it X, he gets the call right. We continue to call it Twitter. <laughs> then we say X. We get it wrong. Well, well done, Perry. Show, I was trying not to show my age there. Uh, <laughs> you nailed it. You called You called it right. 100% so far in this interview. Yeah. <laughs> we what's wanted- interesting to me is what's interesting is all the people that write or create narratives regarding officiating, there's – I don't know of any that have ever officiated. Yeah, that's more than fair. I know I haven't. Carlin? Uh, I was an umpire in Little League once. So no. So Carlin, you get it. You understand. No, he doesn't. You're going to get it no matter what. He does not Uh, get it. Well, I'm not going to lie. There there was a game that was running really long and a borderline pitch that was strike three to end the game became a strike. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a hot day, so you get it. (laughs) 30, 40 years ago, I did the same exact thing. (laughs) John, one last thing we had for you on the way out the door. Uh, End of the Chiefs game. Controversial play, at least in the eyes of a lot of the fans. Mikol Hardman, as he's going for the end zone, he fumbles through the end zone. Ball goes out of bounds, which means Buffalo gets the ball on the 20-yard line. Fans are split uh, as to how they feel about this rule. There's some talk that the NFL could maybe make some changes. What do you think happens here? Do you think we eventually make an adjustment to that rule? Well, I think they're certainly going to spend more time on it this year than they have in years past because there are a lot of people talking about it. There's a lot of people that think, it's, hey, it's just too punitive. Uh, give the ball back to the spot of the fumble. Move it back to the 20-yard line. There, there probably are some options. What I would tell you is that fumble play aligns with any other time during the game where a loose ball – Generally, we see them punts or kickoffs. When a loose ball is put into your opponent's end zone, it's a touchback. And keep in mind the end zone, that goal line, that, that's the, that is treated differently. You get in there with possession, we're going to give you six points. You stop them behind it with possession, we're going to give you two points. You put it on the ground, fumble, loose ball, sorry, you lost it. It is just treated that differently. Uh, But it does align with any other time a loose ball goes through the opponent's end zone. So do they continue to spend time on this versus others? Do they separate it? Do they do something different? I don't know what their thoughts will be, but I do know they're going to speak to it during the offseason, during the competition committee meetings. John, outstanding perspective. We can't thank you enough. Exactly what we were looking for. Thanks for your time. Thank you, John. All right. Have a great day. Enjoy the games. You too. John Perry, ESPN, NFL officiating analyst. Like, that's exactly what you're looking for. You want to know all that stuff. Like, you know, I don't know that I believe that Angel Hernandez isn't going on Twitter or X and trying to figure out what people are saying about him. But I, I do believe it when it comes to NFL officials because you don't see them out there. There are, there are not NFL officials, I would say, outside of when you read something like this about Sean Smith, where we know immediately that this guy's a terrible referee, right? At least I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way the way I do about baseball. I don't feel that way the way I do about the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the information we have is interesting. We brought someone on with some perspective to try to get to the bottom of it because, again, the narrative out there, this is the conspiracy theory, is that the NFL wants Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. 
Yep. They've seen what she does for ratings. They want her in the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, there's a referee calling the Chief game where the Chiefs are on the road who has a history over the last three years of significantly favoring road teams, which is the perception based on some of these numbers. Perry says there's nothing to it. Maybe there's nothing to it. It's quite the coinky dink. That's all I'll say. I mean, I like John, but I, I still stand by the conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I, that's the When you ask me why am I worried about betting Baltimore, that's the reason. That's the reason. <laughs> well, we hope that the officials are not going to be the X factors in no, the game, but no. who is? That's next. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Championship Sunday on ESPN Radio. Touchdown, Lamar! All the news, analysis, predictions, and reaction from the Chiefs, Ravens, and 49ers Lions. Trip to the Super Bowl on the line. NFL Championship Sunday. Coverage continues right here on ESPN Radio. It's an exciting, exciting weekend. Two massive games on Sunday. Can't wait for them. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio. I'll see if I can throw some more cliches at it. Massive, big game. Can't wait to get going. <laughs> oh, my God. Give me this Sunday. I'll tell you what, though. I am excited, and I do always love to talk about what the 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 guys that we're not necessarily thinking about, the kind of role that they are going to play in these championship games. So shall we hit it and hit it with the X factors? Are you ready? I am ready. We will go in the order of the games, which of course has the earlier game, Kansas City and Baltimore. So let us start with the road team. The Kansas City Chiefs. All right. This is pretty simple for me. It's the guy that doesn't get talked about a whole lot uh, until you realize how good he is at just pounding the football, and it's Isaiah Pacheco. Listen, 
there have been a lot of jokes about how hard he runs and all that stuff. Uh, he was back in the practice field today, or is back in the practice field today. Joe, the dude's just tough. He's a tough runner. He's fast. He can go inside and out. A lot of people don't even remember that this is a guy that had a 4-3-40 when he was coming out last year. I think Pacheco is a massive, massive factor in this game for the Chiefs if they're going to have a chance of winning on the road. Ravens have the best defense in the NFL. If you are not able to run the ball with at least some level of consistency, you become one-dimensional. If you become one-dimensional against a defense like Baltimore in their building where they have extra rest, you are doomed. X-Factor for me, Kansas City Chiefs, linebacker Willie Gay. Limited in practice yesterday with the neck injury he sustained against the Bills last week that took him out of the game. Remember, Willie Gay was tasked with spying quarterback Josh Allen. When he left the game, Allen was able to run wild. He ran for over 70 yards in that game. I don't know if Spagnuolo's game plan is going to be the same thing here, but Willie Gay versus Lamar Jackson, one way or another, is going to be a huge matchup. And if Willie Gay is on that field and he is able to in any way just limit we're not going to use the word stop because that's ridiculous, but limit what Lamar can do with his feet. You can try to make Baltimore somewhat one-dimensional. If you can do that, you can tip the scales in your favor. Willie Gay needs a huge day on the Chiefs' side of the ball. The Baltimore Ravens. Get me on the Gus bus. Again, running back, Gus Edwards. 810 yards this season, 13 touchdowns. But I still think we could look back uh, at last week and understand that maybe uh, the Buffalo Bills did not do enough of running the football. Chiefs are great against the pass. They are not great against the run. And all of the run game is always going to center around Lamar Jackson. Gus Edwards is a heck of a running back and and very under the radar. I think he's a big factor in this game uh, to try to win it because it's one thing if you can contain Lamar with Willie Gay – But then when they can pound you as well up the middle, that's a little bit more tricky. And on the RPO, we know how dangerous it can be. If Lamar Jackson's able to run the ball and Gus Edwards is able to run the ball, that means the Ravens are able to run the ball. And if the Ravens are able to run the ball, that means Patrick Mahomes is standing on the sideline as the clock continues to tick down, which is not where you want Patrick Mahomes in the biggest game of the season. Ravens X-Factor for me, safety Kyle Hamilton. Kansas City comes into this game with Patrick Mahomes, Isaiah Pacheco, and Travis Kelsey. Those are the three skilled players you can trust. Outside of that, it's a crapshoot. Rice, Valdez-Scantling, Kadarius Toney, if he even sees the field, you don't know what you're going to get, but it's been inconsistent all year. If you take Kyle Hamilton and you put him on Travis Kelsey and you limit what the best tight end in the NFL can do in this game, what else do the Chiefs have? Mahomes and Pacheco. That means a wide receiver at one of the worst, most inconsistent wide receiver groups in the league is going to have to step up and and have a huge day on the road in the crowd noise against one of the best defenses in the NFL. So Kyle Hamilton's ability to limit Travis Kelsey, huge for the Baltimore defense on Sunday. We move to the NFC Championship game. The Detroit Lions. What a rookie season it was for Sam Laporta. And this guy has come out of tight end U, Iowa. You look at who they've produced over the last several years, whether it's Hawkinson, whether it's George Kittle, whether it's, um, you know, you could go to Noah Fant, guys like that. They've produced a lot of tight ends lately. He got banged up at the end of the regular season, but Joe, 
he only goes out there last week and catches the ball nine times, or two weeks, uh, last week against Tampa. Nine catches. Uh, before that, you know, was getting targeted quite a bit toward the end of the season uh, before he got banged up. I think Laporta is headed for stardom as a tight end in the league, and in this game, I would be shocked if he did not end it with at least six catches. I think Detroit's going to be throwing quite a bit. That's an opportunity there. I like where your head's at. He's going to need to play a big role because he's been a big part of that offense all season long. I'll go with rookie running back Jameer Gibbs, another rookie in last year's class for the Detroit Lions. A home run hitter. Breakaway speed. Great change of pace from David Montgomery who can bulldoze between the tackles. You need to get Gibbs involved. You need to get Gibbs out onto the perimeter. You need to get Gibbs in the space because if you do, big things can happen. And if big things can happen against this defense, again, you can keep Kyle Shanahan's offense on the sidelines. Gibbs's rushing prop in this game is somewhere around 45 and a half yards, give or take, on the sports book. If he goes over, that is a great sign for Detroit. If he goes way under, that means they are trailing big and throwing way too often. Think about this for Detroit, too. Remember back when people were knocking the Lions for taking him so high? Yep. They took, you know, out of a couple people leading up to the draft last year who are talent evaluators, coaches in the league who said they like Jameer Gibbs more than they like B. John Robinson. And the guy ended up with nearly 1,000 yards rushing, 10 touchdowns, and by the way, 50 catches. And that's only the beginning for Jameer Gibbs. It's weird what happens when you draft the running back and then use the running back. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if Arthur Smith ever considered that in Atlanta. You think he has any regrets? Yeah, maybe it's the fact that he never got the ball to any of his key skill players. I don't know. You're spending top 10 picks on Bijan Robinson, on Kyle Pitts, on Drake London, and you just you, you can't get him the ball. They're all decoys. Chuckies. They're all decoys. Yeah. For what? I don't know. The San Francisco 49ers. This is a little bit off the board, but follow me for a moment. Jawan Jennings. Okay. Now, we know what the situation is when it comes to Debo, right? You still have a lot to work with in the pass game. You still have, uh, obviously, McCaffrey out of the backfield. You still have Kittle. You still have Brandon Ayuk, who I absolutely love. Jawan Jennings, a little under the radar, but did you pay attention last week? This is a guy who only had 19 catches all season, but it seemed like every time they needed a big catch last week, he was there to deliver, and he had five of them uh, overall in that game after Samuel got hurt. I think Jennings, even if Samuel goes, is going to get more reps in this game, and he just may be the player that you forget about that makes some plays when they need the big first down, things like that. He's been around in San Francisco for a while, and there's a reason. He has made several key plays on third downs over the years. I'm going to go with George Kittle. It's a little bit more obvious, but Detroit gave up the eighth most receiving yards to opposing tight ends this season. Their defense is vulnerable in the passing game, especially when it comes to opposing tight ends. Debo Samuel, even if he goes, isn't going to be 100%. Brock Purdy needs to have a big game. The Niners are going to win this. If Pur Purdy has a pedestrian game, I would venture to say we come in Monday talking about a Lions upset. You have got to be able to take advantage of the secondary and George Kittle is the guy. He's the security blanket. He's the guy that eight yards down the field, get him the ball, let him lower his shoulder, let him turn eight yards into 22 yards. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80. Tune in. It is NBA action tomorrow night. Nuggets hosting the Sixers. It is presented by Indeed. Coverage begins 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. So we had eight NFL job openings. Bill Belichick was on the market. 
One team interviewed him. Nobody hired him. Find out why next on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. Here we have the greatest coach of all time who's sitting there with a lack of interest, which boggles my mind. I think teams are worried about maybe his age, but he's still Bill Belichick. It doesn't really send a signal that you're really trying to win. It is very difficult to try to figure out. It can't be just as simple as the game has passed by somebody that won six Super Bowls. And yeah, Tom Brady was there too. And one one without him, but I don't think the guy forgot about how to coach. It's Carla versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80. Well, you love it every week because the guy, he's just Mr. Personality. He is Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter. He is, uh, he's with us right now, and I couldn't be more excited about that. Jeffrey, it's always good to chat with you. How is Bill Belichick not a... Mr. Personality, huh? Nobody ever calls someone Mr. Personality and means it. It's no, I mean a fantastic it. title. No, 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 no. No, I mean it. Because because you always do bring it to this show, and frankly, I reached oh. down, and that's all I had in the bag was Mr. Personnel. All right. All right. <laughs> so, I'll go with it, I guess. All right, let's start up, here. Babe? Let's start here. Why did Bill Belichick not get a job this time around, at least so far? So, I mean, I think it's, it is very multifaceted. Um, the, first and foremost... I feel like nobody's necessarily talking about the fact that the jobs that were open are not like all that coveted, which is kind of a shot. And I don't mean it to be like overly negative because there are only 32 head coaching jobs, but like this, this cycle, when you, when you look at some of these jobs, the Carolina Panthers job, that's a brutal job to take right now, given the lack of draft picks, the, the sort of tenuous nature of what is Bryce Young at this point. Um, even the Atlanta Falcons, which have a really good roster, which clearly was the one that Belichick was most interested in, um, you know, it's still, it's, it's not a market that has like a, you know, a real history of winning. And I, I would say the Washington job to me is probably the best job given the market, given the fact that it's got new ownership and real commitment. And they're probably very likely going to get, um, who, who is kind of believed to be that number one guy before Belichick and Vrabel even became available in Ben Johnson. And I, I just, I look at this cycle and say, for a guy like Belichick, if he wanted to get the interviews at the other places, I think he could have gotten them. If he wanted to go in there and try to convince these guys that, that this, but I think that takes two to tango. And as much as we often subscribe to the belief that, hey, you got fired for a job, you got to go get one right away. 
there are a top tier of coaches who don't necessarily believe that, that you can step back, wait a year, and then see what unfolds. If the Cowboys job or the Eagles job had popped open and Belichick, um, and in some ways you would think that they would have maybe made a run at Belichick anyway, and Belichick didn't get either of those, I think it would be far more disconcerting for his future than it is right now. Okay, so why did those two teams opt to go status quo? That, so that, I think, is, to me, that's a bigger question, why they didn't decide to make that jump. And we did see it a lot, um, and I don't want to steal any thunder here, with the Tom Brady conversation, but we did see that a lot when Tom ultimately um, became available. Teams were afraid to make moves. They were comfortable with where they were at. Uh, you could even make a case that the New York Giants um, could have made a move to get Belichick given the year that Brian Dable had. And that would have been like less than gutsy. That, that would have been a pretty decent move. But for some reason, I think teams get very comfortable, as they did when Tom Brady became available, and think that um, it's not worth the risk, when I would argue in many ways the risk would have been worth it for Mike Vrabel as well. Um, but, but teams get comfortable, they get complacent, and oftentimes history will repeat itself, and next year those jobs will wind up open. So you mentioned Vrabel. What's the story there? I, because, you know, much like Belichick and Harbaugh, we kind of put those three in that tier yeah. and jobs are going. Seattle's still open and Washington's still open, but that looks like it's Ben Johnson. Is Vrabel going to be left without a seat when the music stops? I think he is. Um, and, and that, to me, is a, as big of a mystery as Belichick because at least when you're looking at Vrabel, it's not as if the game – I mean, he was the coach of the year two years ago. And it's not as if the game has passed him by. It's not as if he can't relate to players, all the things that people say about Belichick. Uh, you know, I also question in this capacity, are these owners afraid of like an alpha coming in? Are they afraid of a guy coming in and taking over their organization? And are these owners hearing from people within their organization, steering them away from it because then they fear for their job security? Uh, I mean, I, I can't look at a guy like Mike Vrabel and not think that he is a better candidate than all the guys that just got hired. I, I mean, he has proven more with less than just about any coach in the last 10 years, and he's going to be without a job. So to me, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for what these owners are doing. We'll see. Maybe, maybe all these guys hit. You know, maybe these, all, all these offensive coordinators come in, um, Raheem Morris, it seems like a, a, actually a pretty respectable good hire in Atlanta, actually, and a defensive guy. But we'll see if they hit. But to me, there was a proven entity in Mike Vrabel, and there was obviously a proven entity in Bill Belichick. And for whatever reason, out of fear or what, uh, these owners decided not to make the move. Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL Insider, joining us. He's got Chiefs and Ravens this weekend in the AFC Championship game. So, Mahomes in championship game number six, six in a row, in fact. Lamar Jackson playing in his first. Do you put any credence in the experience factor playing a role here on Sunday? Yeah, I do. Um, I think Mahomes has gotten so comfortable. And I mean, I know we think of him as such a veteran. He is still young in this league. But he has gotten so comfortable in these moments. Even last week, um, two weeks ago, talking to him before that game against the Dolphins when it was going to be those frigid temperatures. Like, he just didn't blink. And then going in as the underdog against the Bills, he didn't blink, And you know, going on the road for the first time. He definitely uh, has more confidence than anybody I've been around in the game since Brady. 
he he does not. There is nothing that suggests to him that he cannot win this game. And if you would ask me in the middle of the season if they'd make this run, like I'm always a really firm believer in Mahomes. But what I saw was seeing from that offense covering them so much, I did not think that they were a championship caliber team. And yet here we are. And one of the things that I think Mahomes has learned is something that Brady did so well was that use the regular season as the time to find your identity. Do not panic when things get a little bit weird because in the postseason it all changes. And Mahomes seems to have clicked into another level just as Brady used to do as well. And that's why going into this game, he is the ultimate outlier. And it is the reason 100% why the Kansas City Chiefs do have a very good chance here. All right, before we let you go, you're familiar with the uh, Patrick Swayze vehicle roadhouse? I mean, that's a really dated reference. Have you seen it? There's a reason I'm asking. I don't think so. You don't think so? It's a, a Patrick Swayze movie? Yeah, it's being remade with Jake Gyllenhaal. And apparently this is now a useless question because you, I guess, yeah. are not interested in, you know, yeah, pop culture I ever. It, I, don't think you're, I don't think your audience is going to like this one. I, I think that's an obscure reference. Well, it's on TNT like every weekend. Who I watches mean, TNT on. once again? Who watches <laughs> TNT? Well, seriously. You know what? I take you, it back. No personality whatsoever. None. Other None. than live sports, you're, you still watch TV? Oh, oh, you're just the worst. You're just the worst. Yeah, I think I'm right on this one. Okay. I think I'm right. Good luck sleeping tonight, it- Jeff. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter. I'm not happy about the whole Roadhouse situation, but that's fine. What's the problem with it? That they're, make- that they're remaking it. What if it's good? It might be. Jake Gyllenhaal might be good. Former UFC fighter in it, right? So maybe, but... I haven't seen a I haven't seen a remake yet that has outdone the original in anything. Well, I don't think that could ever happen, but it could be good. That would be the question. What if the remake is good? What if you what if you're entertained? Okay, if I'm entertained, that's great. But you know what? Maybe this a fresh idea. Just saying. All right. versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel Lady Jared Goff. He has already rewritten one narrative, Joe. Can he rewrite another one on Sunday? We'll discuss in moments. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Find the top products and quantities you need when you need them. Lowe's knows pros. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. versus Joe. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. All right, here we go. Two of them for you in the NFC Championship game, both Niners related. Number one, George Kittle over 61 and a half receiving yards. Lions giving up the eighth most receiving yards to opposing tight ends this season. They are very vulnerable in the passing game, which leads me into Niners quarterback Brock Purdy. Longest completion over 40 and a half yards. It's a big number. But that Lions secondary is highly suspect. Baker Mayfield just walked in there and threw for over 300 yards in their own building. You can hit them big. You can hit them early. You can hit them often. Pizza Money's three and four 
NFC Championship Edition. George Kittle over 61.5 receiving yards. Brock Purdy, his longest completion, goes over 40.5 yards. Job better done on this night by your NFC North champion Detroit Lions who are going to the NFC Championship game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. I envisioned that we would have a chance to compete with the big boys, and that's where we're at. All you got to do is get in. It's exciting, and not just for me, but for our whole team. And we expected to win the first game. We expected to win this game, and and now we get to go to a game we expected to be in against a really good team at their place. And um, we're going to come into it expecting to win. It'll be a tough game, but um, it'll be fun. Everybody wants the Lions to win. I mean, outside, like I saw a map this week of, you know, who's rooting for the Lions, and it's basically most of America outside of Northern California. Carla versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and I get it. It's a great story, and Jared Goff is a great story because he had been somewhat left for dead as a quarterback when the Rams literally gave up an extra first-round pick just to get the Lions to take him in getting their trade done for uh, Matthew Stafford. I'm really – I've been having trouble the last 24 hours or so looking at this objectively and trying to figure out how the Lions win. And then this morning on Get Up, I heard Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL Insider, discuss this game. I still think they're in trouble anyway, even if they can limit the amount of time San Francisco spends on the field. Highest explosive pass play rate in the NFL this year is the 49ers. Highest explosive pass play rate allowed this year is the oh, Lions. Are you saying that's a bad that's matchup? Kind of a bad matchup <laughs> if you're the Lions. And, look, make fight. and the other thing is, you talk about how Green Bay got after him, it was pouring rain. The weather forecast for Sunday in Santa Clara, California is spectacular. Yeah. Like, I shed a tear after two weekends in a row in Buffalo. I saw the forecast, and I was like, I don't. Need, I got to go. I'm going to have to dig through my closet to yeah. find clothes for 74-degree weather. Look, you can limit San Francisco on the field. Good for you. I'm having trouble believing in that happening with how poor the Lions' defense is against the pass. I want to see it, but I, I'm, I'm just – I'm having trouble seeing how even when they're on the field, you're going to be able to limit them from scoring. Packers aren't very good against the pass. They were able to limit them last week. There is a way and there is a a path for the Lions to win this game. There's a way and a path for the Lions to win this game. Just don't play from behind. I know it sounds so simplistic, but I'm just trying to make the point simplistic so that people can understand it. Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan do not perform well in tight situations or when playing from behind. Those are facts. Last week against Green Bay was the first time Kyle Shanahan, as the head coach of the 49ers, won a game when entering the fourth quarter trailing by five or more points. That is insane given the amount of success that team has had. What that tells you is all those years Shanahan's been in San Francisco, there isn't a single time where they trailed, say, 28-21 entering the fourth and came back to win, right? They aren't built to play from behind they're built to play from out in front if the lions smack them early get a lead and put the pressure on purdy purdy's gonna feel it purdy felt the pressure against cincinnati purdy felt the pressure against green bay he missed on a lot of throws last week the reason the niners are here is because the packers turtled up got conservative and made big mistakes if the lions play a cleaner brand of football and put the niners in a similar situation they can walk right through that door and go to the super bowl okay but I'm going to throw a couple of numbers at you, and you tell me what I should do with them. Okay. Jared Goff, 
0-5 against the Niners. 59% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, six interceptions. First thing I would say is most of those games came when he was a member of the Lions and the Niners had a much better defense than they currently do. Uh, with the Rams, yeah. Yes, I, with the Rams, then, I'm sorry. And then Goff, also the numbers that you have continuously pointed to were the numbers outdoors. So your stats are my stats is what you're saying. You've well, got a no, bunch I, of numbers I, you want to throw at me. One of them is mine. <laughs> well, yes. I'd like to throw things back in your face, and I'd like I to use your material. Say. It saves me a lot of work in actually say. having to prepare. I got a bunch of stuff I want to throw at you. Number one, what you presented early this morning. I'd like to throw that at you, please. Um, that's where it gets very interesting because that is these are numbers from this season. So we're not going back. As, as great as golf has played this year and as much credit as he's gotten, and all of it is due, all of it is due, he has played one outdoor game since October 23rd. I say October 23rd because he did play an outdoor game October 22nd. It was in Baltimore. They got shellacked in that game, and he played horribly. Yeah, they From got that point moving forward, he played one outdoor game, regular season and playoffs combined. It was against the Bears, and he didn't play very well in that game. And now all of a sudden, everyone's in love with Detroit, but Detroit is stepping into a situation where they're not very comfortable. Golf outdoors this season indoors golf is 11 and 3 he's completing 70 percent of his passes 28 touchdowns eight interceptions qb rating of 101 all those numbers are phenomenal golf outdoors this season lions are three and two 63 percent completions five touchdowns four picks quarterback rating 82 a precipitous drop off that would be the one i'd be focused on weather's supposed to be great Golf's always played poorly in cold weather, but outdoors in general, he had some games outdoors early in the season he didn't play well. It's not like that Bears game had horrific weather when they got together. Just something to keep in mind if you see him struggling yeah. early in the matchup. I, I, I want to see him be able to rewrite the narrative, so to speak, as we call it these days. But sometimes narratives are facts. Jared Goff has had a tremendous season, but there have been a lot of very positive environments in which he has excelled, to your point. So it makes it all the more difficult for me to think that they're going to win this game this week and that he's going to go out there and absolutely torch them, even though, as you have pointed out, if it's okay for me to use points that you've already made. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> that the Niners secondary is not its strength by any stretch of the imagination. If the Lions win the coin toss, what do you think they do? See, so many coaches these days are are really fixated on the middle eight. Right. Meaning the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. It's the best strategy. Yep. Do you think Dan Campbell is just going to bulldoze his way through that? Like, why don't we just put ram horns at least on Dan Campbell because he's going to run you over. I would say this. If you're the Lions and you win the toss and you decide to send it over to Shanahan in that offense with your secondary going out there, you better find a way to get a stop, big boy. Last yeah. thing you want to do is go down 7 nothing in that building in good weather and put golf on his heels. Maybe the best thing to do there, you win that toss, take the ball, go make a statement. Someone did that recently. Was it college or was it pro? LaFleur did it. LaFleur yeah. did it against Dallas. That's yep. what I loved about that. He knew what he was up against, won the toss, took the ball, went right down, and flipped the momentum of that entire game. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80 has a new candidate emerged as having changed the NFL. That's next. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.